Hi, I'm Nick Russell, and I'm one of the co-founders at Jewel A. My guest today is Nick Russell. Nick is one of the co-founders of Dualo, a stakeholder-friendly research repository that helps product teams to organize, connect, and showcase their key research findings across the organization. Prior to Dualo, he worked for 10 years as a product manager, leading product teams at Azos, Gusto, Thomas Cook, and The Telegraph. In this episode, we talk about the value of user research and how some of that is lost or wasted due to the difficulty in sharing insights across the organization. Nick also shares his tips for moving from product manager to founder and the product management leaders who inspired him to do better user research. Welcome to Product Perspectives, the podcast for product people that gives a voice to their stakeholders. Hosted by Magali Pellissier. Each weekly episode shows you the other side of the product with interviews of the people who contribute to making products a success. They are engineers, writers, marketers, support analysts, UX designers, or even salespeople. Not only will they get the credit they deserve, but they will share their perspectives on what makes a good product and product manager. Stakeholder management is a key skill for product managers. So just as you're obsessed with listening to your customers, let's hear from your stakeholders. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming because I'm super excited about your product, about your journey and all the lessons that I'm going to learn and the audience as well from it. So you're the co-founder of Dialo, which is a stakeholder-friendly research repository. And before we dive into your favorite topic, which is research, can you tell me more a bit about your background and your journey so far and how it has led to Jolo? Sure thing. So I come from a product management background and before Jolo, I was leading product teams at ASOS, Gusto, Thomas Cook and The Telegraph. I caught the bug for research and discovery early on in my career. And I used to run around London um, creating these Vox Pops interview videos for Accenture Digital and their big diamond clients who had lost touch somewhat with their customers. I then became fascinated with the wider discovery process and design thinking, the many different ways of capturing insights and using these to build products that customers actually wanted and needed in their lives. I've had the privilege of working with some really great product designers and researchers since then, which has further grown my appreciation for just how much work goes into the process of doing discovery well. One of my co-founders and uh, my best mates from childhood Dan has been a designer and a design lead throughout his career. And so when we started Jule, we wanted to start this company that took design and research as seriously as it needs to be taken from day one in order to build and deliver a truly kick-ass product. Um, and just ahead of the pandemic, I was taking a sabbatical to travel the world with my now wife-to-be. We got locked down in India during the first lockdown and Dan gave me this call to talk about the fact that he was out of work and wanted to start this company with me to build a really great discovery platform for product teams. And when I got home, we started on Jewelo. That's brilliant. And what I've just realized is you have a PM background and your co-founder has a design background. And that's quite an unusual group to get started with because usually you'd have one engineer. So I think, is, is there anything you want to say about that? Like, because you need an engineer to be able to build. So was it hard? How did that change your approach to finding the people to actually build the product? 
Yeah, of course. We knew that we wanted to get to that product trio set up as quickly as possible. The great thing about having Dan with his design background and me with my product background was that we were able to effectively do this six-month upfront discovery process where before we even wrote a line of code, we're testing the problem space, testing prototypes and solutions with the market before then finding our technical co-founder, Mike, and bringing him on board to help complete that. So yeah, we are somewhat blessed, I guess, as a startup team in the fact that we've got that design brand experience from the very off, which so many teams lack in, in the early days. So it's an interesting setup, and, but it's been working so well for us. Great. And I think that's a brilliant setup because I think for a product manager, that's the dream to have a UX designer with you first so you can do all that pre-work. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a bit more about your product. And also, I noticed there's lots of other products in that space. So how does it differ to all the other tools that are available to support researchers? Sure. So I've worked in digital product for over 10 years now. And one thing I've always found frustrating is how difficult it is to access user insights. So many teams collect data that if shared and collectively owned, can provide huge value to an organization through improved clarity and increased confidence around decision-making. And so I mentioned this six-month front discovery that we did where we effectively started to test that problem space and realized that this was a huge industry-wide problem um, that so many teams, so many product teams were experiencing. And what we've built is this stakeholder-friendly insights hub. It helps organizations to connect their knowledge across tools and teams and unlock the bigger picture surrounding their consolidated research data. And then teams can use this to make better strategic decisions across the company. Not only is the tool being designed to engage wider stakeholders considering the UX and the UI, but we also offer a service where our team actually takes your research data and builds an insight repository for you, as well as offering strategic review of your data. This makes us very different to any other repository solution available on the market today. You're saying that you're better than Excel. I'm sure there's lots of listeners would be like, I use Excel for that and it's a big mess and I can't share it with my stakeholders. I've seen nightmare scenarios like this. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't get me wrong, like spreadsheets have their place and I love spreadsheets as next as, as much as the next person, right? Um, but when it comes to building an insights hub, when it comes to sharing knowledge and having stakeholders engage in insights, it's just not designed for that purpose. And so sheets will only get you so far. But when it comes to really scaling this, you, you need to be considering a dedicated solution for that. Great. So let's dive into that, actually. So can you give me some examples of real life pain points that you or your customers, because you can face those pain points as well. This is a good thing. You're a user of your product, I guess. Yeah. So some examples of pain points that you or your customers face with research and how does GLO solve those? Yeah, so our customers are faced with three major problems surrounding the lack of access to previous research findings. So 70% of research teams think that less than half of their stakeholders know how to access their research findings. Employees waste hours each week searching for insights hidden within different apps and reports. 
And research professionals lose 20% of their time duplicating previous research, which is why teams are starting to build these centralized insight hubs to tackle this. However, teams struggle with a number of challenges associated with that objective. Today's tools aren't designed specifically for this purpose. So we've talked about sheets, but also wikis, shared drives, research analysis tools. Many teams don't have the capacity to build and launch something like this alongside their other priorities. And lots of teams are lacking in the know-how required to roll out and scale something like this successfully across the organization. So we help teams to build these powerful, connected insight repositories, understand the opportunities previously hidden within their existing data, and provide ongoing guidance and support to help scale their repository across the customer facing and leadership teams within their company. Great. And I think power of that problem space is it applies to any company who is doing product, whether you're a small business or big enterprise, you do have these challenges all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, we talk about this idea of insight debt and spoke with Lydia Howland, who was the previous head of research at Deliveroo. She talks about the fact that no matter whether you're a large organization or a small organization, the more research you're doing, the more insight debt you're accumulating by way of insight and knowledge that hasn't been shared. And so similar to tech debt and how when you're building a product, you're building up tech debt at the same time. This needs to be addressed on an ongoing basis to make sure that you're really maximizing the value of what you're learning across uh, the journey. Um, think of that in a smaller company position, how many times you pivot or change directions as a startup, having access to why a decision was made and the data that was underlying that decision is so important to working effectively and scaling effectively as a business as it is to a large organization that may have lost touch with some of the previous decisions that are being made or data has become so siloed across different teams that people are starting to question or have concerns around why one department is heading in one direction and the other in, in the complete opposite direction. I think this is in line with supporting companies in becoming more product oriented. We see an explosion of techniques and frameworks and tools. What impact do you think all of this has on product team? Right. So it's great that there are so many different techniques that can be applied uh, and the tools available to support these. And this is necessary, too, because depending on the goals for your discovery, you need to be applying the right methods from your discovery toolkit in order to maximize on the insights gained and the progress towards your objectives. Having said that, this can be really overwhelming for people who are new to product management or for people who are working with product managers, designers and researchers who aren't so experienced in product discovery and user research. I certainly felt this myself when I first started and there's still a long way to go. There's always new things to be learned. So I recommend that people look towards the pioneers and the expert practitioners in this field, read up on their materials and then start applying this in their roles alongside others who have more experience in the space, um, but also the mindset to be doing more continuous discovery at their organization. I'm talking about Marty Kagan, Teresa Torres, also the work of Tim Herbig too. All three of these product leaders have been really helpful in helping me and our team to understand how to get much better at this. If you want one place to start and haven't read this already, I would encourage listeners to check out Marty Kagan's book, Inspired. 
it opened a whole new world for me a few years back and really fueled my passion for product discovery and doing this well. And if you've already read that, then be sure to check out Teresa Torres's more recent book, Continuous Discovery Habits, which is another inspiring read. Regarding the explosion in research and discovery tools and the impact you mentioned this has had on teams, we've ended up over the past decade in a place where there is so much raw data that's been synthesized into insight. But now teams are in the same way that they used to be sat on a load of unstructured raw data and now sat on a load of scattered insights. And so for these teams, the next step in the evolution of the product discovery process comes down to connecting this together and connecting the dots at a synthesized insight level across the teams involved in the product development lifecycle. This is so we can make better, more informed decisions faster and ultimately build and launch more remarkable products for our customers. And that's where things are heading next when it comes to product discovery and customer research. I love that you give some references, books that I think most product managers would at least have heard about. I want to go back to the example of Teresa Torres' book, Continuous Discovery Habits, because that's, I think, one of the things you enable with your platform. How do you drink your own champagne and how do you approach continuous research and discovery at Dialog? Cool. I definitely wouldn't call it a champagne just yet. It's probably more like a, a, a nice Prosecco that we're drinking at the moment. <laughs> and, but in terms of how we apply this at Jule, so we've made a habit of discovery. My co-founder, Dan and I carve out an hour each morning to reach out to and speak with customers and industry leaders. And um, as with any habit, you have to be consistent with your actions in order to form the continuous behavior so that this becomes second nature. And um, we speak with around five or six people a day, each of us in discovery mode. And this helps us to really keep our finger on the pulse when it comes to the biggest challenges that researchers and product teams are faced with, um, which we can use to influence our product roadmap and design new services that we can offer to help teams with this. The trick to doing this really well in any organization is not just speaking to customers, but making sure that the insights from your discovery link to the outcomes you're trying to achieve with the product and as a business so that you can identify the biggest opportunities from your discovery that will really move the bar the most when it comes to delivering solutions for these. In fact, the name Julo was heavily inspired by the process of Jewel Track, which is an agile approach to running discovery and delivery at the same time. And this was one of our earlier Miro sessions we had together as a team. And actually one of the hardest things to agree on, but a little Easter egg there. I had figured that out when I heard the name and I read about the company. Oh, I'm like, I'm sure it is a reference to that. So well done. Awesome. <laughs> Talking about user research, you've said to me that you think that user research is at this exciting stage of growth and evolution, a bit like product management and UX design have been over the last few years. So what excites you about the current situation for UX research and what are the main challenges faced by researchers? Nielsen Norman Group have talked previously about how the estimated number of UX professionals is expected to grow from around 1 million people to around 100 million people by 2050. How crazy is that, right? I'm excited about more product teams embedding UX research into their ongoing practice. Unfortunately, we've seen so many researchers let go from their company over the past 12 months, which is upsetting because it shows how many 
leaders in the industry don't yet fully appreciate the strategic impact that research can have on things like acquisition, retention, revenue. But the optimist in me expects that the organisations still invested in research today will weather the storm of the recession and a new set of resilient companies will survive and scale throughout the current economic climate, presenting researchers and product teams with more of an opportunity to do more research. So I believe the biggest challenge for UX researchers right now is clearly demonstrating the ROI of research to their leadership team. But the exciting thing is that many researchers have already figured this out and the teams that they're working with are reaping the benefits. It's not easy to do, but it comes down to making sure that the top level business goals are always clearly linked to your research questions and that you're actively tracking and playing back on the impact of any work that's been fueled by your research findings. This certainly helps with achieving more buy-in for research at that most senior level of the company. Uh, and it's something we help teams with at Jewelo through our services and the product by integrating with the wider tools that are used to make product, marketing, sales, decisions across the organization. I think that's a very good point about ROI because it is a thing that I like to discuss with UX designers and UX researchers is about how do they measure a good design, a good research, and how does that link with the company's goal? And one of the things I think sometimes you can do is measuring all the things you're not doing because through the research you have proven that it's not worth doing. So all these things, they say, we save a lot of time, we save a lot of money. I think that's a good way to, to think about it as well. Absolutely. Uh, you're making a decision to not do something can be as important and impactful as making a decision to do something or, or drive a particular solution or idea. What is very cool I find at Diallo is that you conduct research about research. So what are the things that you've learned from talking to customers and prospects that you didn't know, even though you were a PM before, but you learned by founding the company? It certainly can get very meta at times, researching research. Apart from the key insights around the problems we're solving for, which I talked about earlier, we've learned a load about how to speak with customers well in order to maximize the value of your time in an interview. This comes down to making sure that you've designed a set of questions for each interview that provide the person you're speaking with with enough room to answer your questions from an open and honest place, but providing enough focus that you're able to answer your research questions with the short amount of time that you have for each interview. It's something that you learn with experience, and there's loads of great resources available online to help with designing and conducting an effective interview. Something I knew before, but I've got much better at is making sure to be in the moment when you're speaking with a customer and that you're really listening to their answers, making sure that you're speaking far less than they are and empathizing with them and what they're sharing with you. One thing I've had to learn quickly about as a founder is how to speak with customers and prospects to learn not just about their views on the problem and the product, but also in how they purchase products for their company. What's the buying process for their organization and how do we use this to design a sales process to match this? It's something I had no experience in before Jewelo and I've had to learn about on the job alongside Dan as we've stepped up from being a startup into more of a scale up as an organization. And it's really challenging, but it's also very rewarding when you make an improvement and it impacts your revenue and your growth in a positive way. I like you giving so many practical tips about how to be better 
at conducting interviews because lots of VMs are not as lucky as in big tech companies maybe where they have dedicated UX researchers. So as VMs, we often have to do the work ourselves and we're not expert in user research. So any tip around how to be more efficient and get better results uh, is always welcome. The landscape for research is changing. We've seen, I'm sure you tried ChatGPT and including the latest version. So AI, I think is gonna tremendously change the way we conduct user research, the way it's done, but also the way it's shared across an organization. What's your take on that? How do you think AI will change this? Great question. So AI is going to, and already has changed the world in many ways. The challenge will be, with using this technology in the right way and an ethical way. As right now, there's just so many opportunities that this presents. Regarding its application to research, I believe there's a huge opportunity to apply this type of technology to the insights that are already being produced by teams. A lot of us have already witnessed the power of tools like ChatGPT in summarizing content, which could be used to help researchers highlight the key insights from large research projects, but also things like running sentiment analysis across synthesized insights, using AI to auto-generate suggested tags for structuring your data, and helping with things like auto-translation, which are all things that we're exploring at Joolo. Also, many researchers work with highly sensitive data when speaking with their customers. And I think there's a huge opportunity to use AI to help with flagging and protecting this data from wider distribution especially when it comes to sharing insights across an organization. We're really excited about this idea of eventually being able to use AI to allow people to ask something like Joolo for answers around your customers. We've seen teams developing chatbots for research threads in Slack, but taking this to the next level and using tools like ChatGPT and fine-tuning an org or industry-specific model tailored to your specific knowledge base that's the next level. And we're really looking forward to building some of these ideas into our product as we move through 2023 and beyond. That sounds very exciting. In this podcast, I like to have a person you know. Here's a product manager, Tom, you've worked with before, who has a question for you. So let's hear it. Hi, Nick. Tom here. Um, my question to you is, what has been the biggest product lesson that you've learned since moving to a startup? that you didn't know before starting Juala? Sure. So I think the biggest product learning has come from suddenly not having your own quant data to play with. So coming from a PM role in established companies with lots of data available to analyze, to suddenly having the quant rug pulled from beneath your feet has been a real challenge. In the earliest days, you have only your desk research and your initial discovery interviews to rely on to help augment or test your own beliefs and assumptions around the problem, what the market's looking for and how big this opportunity might be. So the value of getting good at this type of research, uh, you know, on the more qualitative side, learning to speak with as many people as possible that fit your ideal customer profile, becomes critical to prototyping and then building and launching the right solution for the right market. It's something I've had to get much better at and fast. And I'd encourage any first time founder to consider the market and the go-to market alongside the development of the product from as early on in the process as possible. You really need all three of these things to come together to build a successful business. And the only way you're going to do that is by conducting lots of secondary research up front, 
and speaking with lots and lots of people to start with. Yeah, be sure to put yourself out there from day one. Before you know it, you'll be up and running with a working product that's being used by real customers. And you'll be back in that position where you have both qualitative and quantitative data available to help you with working out what to do next. Yeah, I think that's a great point because there's a lot of content out there about how to use quantitative data. But when you start, there is no quantitative data. There's no usage analytics. You have to navigate a bit in the dark using qualitative data, using research that already exists out there. It's only then when you start experimenting that you have access to that quantitative data. Exactly. You just have to become really comfortable with gathering that qualitative type of data, speaking with people, making sure you're speaking with the right people and making sure that you're spotting the right trends and patterns in the data to make sure that you're not going off on a wild goose chase. It's a lot of work, but when you then finally put a prototype or a product in front of a customer or the first set of customers start buying and paying and using your product, it it's really is a really rewarding experience. And I think that question links to your journey as a founder and I'm not a founder, far from it. I, I don't think uh, that's my thing, but I founded my own, well, I created my own podcast. And I think that's the question uh, you've got is about the podcast. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So my question to you is what was your inspiration for starting the Product Perspectives podcast? I'm interested in how you went about discovering the right angle for this. And um, what advice would you provide to someone looking to get started with launching their own product management podcast today? Great. Thank you. You're the first one asking me this question, although I do answer that question quite a lot of the record. I love podcasts. I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan when I cook, when I walk. And I couldn't find a podcast about product management that I really loved. And there's two reasons for that. One, it's product managers talking about product management to product managers. So it was a bit very high level and I know the job. So I didn't learn as much as I wanted. And the second thing is that it always showed that perfect picture of product management by the book, you know, exactly from the, the books you've mentioned earlier. And that's not what happens in practice. We've talked about the lack of data initially when you start a product. We talk about how it is difficult to have all the research in one place to communicate it to stakeholders. There's lots of things behind the scenes that make that the company never operates in the perfect way. So that's what inspired me. I wanted to show the reality behind the scenes, what's really happening in product management, and also give a voice to the people who contribute to products. So as a product manager, nothing happens just on my own. I need, obviously, engineers and UX designers. But I work with product marketing. I work with the sales team. I work with the customer support team. So I need all those people to be successful. It's, it's a team sport. Uh, so that's why I took the niche. There are something like 70, I counted, product management podcasts. And none of these podcasts is talking about that, the collaboration with other stakeholders. So that's really why I took this angle. Very cool. And, and I appreciate that angle. I think it's a really interesting take on the space. So yeah, love that. And about starting your own podcast. Well, if you are thinking about starting your own podcast, people who are listening, please reach out to me because there are, as I just said, 70 other product management podcasts. So maybe we don't need one. Maybe we could collaborate. So reach out to me first. I've been actually looking for some time for a partner to co-host the podcast. So if anyone is interested, I'd be happy to have a chat. But apart from that, it's like a product. A podcast is like a product, but 
worse in terms of data. You, you talked about not having quantitative data. The podcast space is quite opaque. I do have some stats about my listeners, but I'm not sure how reliable that is because there's so many platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all of that. And there's so many different metrics as well. It's completely new world in terms of data. So I would say treat it like a product experiment and do an MVP. My first episode was with one of my friend's engineers and we started... And it was a bit messy and the questions weren't that good. And then I learned and I got feedback from guests and from people who were listening and I got better, but just do it, experiment and learn from that. Absolutely. That's, that's so great to hear about the, the early days of your journey as well. And I, I love that reflection on, on the podcast being a product. Yeah. Anything that we're putting out there it's great to think about it in that way, right? As something that you're continuously trying to improve. The importance, as you as you just said there, of just getting started and not being afraid to put something a little bit scrappy out there to begin with and, and iterating on that. It's all product principles. That's really fascinating. And thank you for that, Magali. Yeah, well, back to me asking the questions. <laughs> yeah, that. You're much better at that than me. <laughs> well, fire questions at the end of the episode. That's my favorite part. And yeah, Running a podcast is so fun and I really enjoy the conversation. So first one, product management or user research? Product management feels like the right answer given my background and the audience for this podcast. Product management or founder? Founder, absolutely no question. It's been one hell of a journey, but I would not go back now that I've done this. It's founder every time. Good. The next one is more tricky. Azos, Gusto, Thomas Cook of The Telegraph? That's a really tough question. So I'll start fairly democratically, is that I enjoyed working with each of those teams. But <laughs> uh, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with The Telegraph, as this is where I, I was really given my first opportunity to start developing my product discovery skills. And uh, I learned so much from working uh, with this team. Next one, web or mobile? We're focused on web right now at Jewelo, so I'm going to go with web. Quantitative or qualitative research? Qualitative. Don't get me wrong, I love numbers, but I enjoy spending time and speaking with people much more. And B2B or B2C? B2B is our focus at Jewelo, so that's where my head is at at the moment. One day, I hope I get the opportunity to also start a B2C company, but let's see how I feel about that after Jewelo. <laughs> Great. So actually about that founder's journey, what is the final piece of advice that you can give for product managers who are listening and they might want to start their own company and become a founder? Yeah, don't wait to get started. And if you're anything like me, don't side hustle it if it's a big enough opportunity to go after full time as you'll always be distracted and won't get the time to give this what it needs. You've got to jump right in and go for it. Sink or swim all or nothing. I remember thinking before Jewelo that I wasn't sure if I had the skills to start my own company. And I definitely didn't. But if you're a product manager, you probably already know more than enough to get started. And a lot of founders don't have any product background at all. One of my old managers actually helped to convince me that I knew enough to get going and that I'd learn the rest on the journey and can hire and inspire a great team to help with the bits that are less familiar to me and that need to be done by others with more experience. So if you've got a burning desire to build something big, don't wait because you'll never start. You'll always find an excuse 
and you don't want to look back and think, I wish I'd given that a go. Either way, it's going to be an incredible experience and you're going to learn so much more than you ever thought was possible. So just do it. It's so inspiring to hear you. I think people can hear in your voice how excited you are to be a founder. It will definitely inspire some people. There's lots of laid-offs, as you said, and why look for a new job? Why not start my own? Absolutely. It's a great opportunity to start your own thing if you've left something just now and using that time to think, hang on, maybe this is the time where I can start to build something with someone else in the same field. It's exactly what Dan and I did in the pandemic when both of us came out of our jobs. So yeah, using this time as an opportunity is a really nice way to reflect on it there. Yeah. And people can do it from home. They don't need to go to India like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't recommend uh, getting stuck in India or anywhere for a significant amount of time. Having said that, we ended up being locked down in this yoga school <laughs> for six, eight weeks, I think, in the end. So it offered the perfect chance for me to be in that state of doing this yoga and meditation each day and, and taking the time to really reflect on what I wanted to do next. So in that way, it was really helpful. And the next opportunity I get, I will be going back to India and visiting our friends out there. Wow, it was such a good time, but not necessarily part of everyone's found the journey for sure right and I think you're making a good point as well about taking the time to think because we're all super busy as product managers but really taking the time to reflect is so important because this is when you come up with some great ideas 100% perfect so if listeners want to try out Duolo or they want to reach out to you and talk about all the great topics we've talked about today how can they reach out to you yeah so you can reach out on LinkedIn or shoot us a message via our website which is duolo.io it's always a pleasure to connect and chat with others in the industry so if you'd like to chat more about anything that has been on today's episode then um, yeah give us a shout Great. Thank you so much. I thought it was a great episode because it was a good mix of product management and founder and user research. All of those are some topics I think the audience would love so much. So thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you so much for having me, Magali. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. If you have suggestions for topics and guests, or any feedback, you can write to Magali Pellissier at hotmail.fr.